So yeah, every time I came from LA to my kids are like, what, why'd you leave California? <laughs> you have to be your own leader. And everybody's drawn to a story about somebody who either overcame something and accomplished something or is going through something that they can relate to. Leadership hold that journalism has on the community as a whole. We're leading the charge for how we document our history, how we tell stories about what's happening in the world. Welcome to the Leader Workout Podcast, sponsored by Spirity. We exist to provide a forum for leaders to learn, grow, teach, and share tangible leadership principles and practical experiences with other leaders. Nick Williams is a journalist at the Milwaukee Business Journal, and he shares his thoughts on the power of the pen and the influence of being able to tell somebody else's story. Nick also shares his failures in journalism and the steps he took to overcome them moving forward. Tune in to hear Nick's views on journalistic leadership and how doing a good job takes care of career ambitions. All right, welcome to the Leader Podcast. Uh, we're going to get a workout with my main man. Please introduce yourself and tell us who you are, what you do, and how you came about doing what you do. All right, I'm Nick Williams. I'm a business reporter with the Milwaukee Business Journal. I've been in Milwaukee since last February. I came from Minneapolis before working here. Another paper that the company owns in Minneapolis, St. Paul Business Journal. I've been in journalism since I was 16. Okay. I grew up in LA, uh, born in New Orleans, but I grew up in LA. And I got into journalism at 16, writing for this small community newspaper. They were just looking for a student writer. And you know, I wrote about what's happening in my school. And I did that. And then I found out about this teen magazine in LA called LA Youth. I think it's discontinued, but anyway, it was a staff of teen reporters. We had some college kids who were editors. It was started by a teacher, and was just writing about issues that were affecting kids in LA. Gang, sex, drugs, just trying to manage getting into college, things like that. I mean, some of the stories I wrote there at 16, 17, where, you know, I went to a juvenile detention center and was talking with kids who were facing murder charges, who were in gangs, and, uh, you know, wrote a story about some young people who are, you know, going through rehab. So anyway, stuff like that just got me hooked. And I've been doing it ever since. Got it. All right. So you start journalism. What makes you decide to move from Minneapolis to Milwaukee? So it was a family decision. My wife works for Target. And we were in Florida before. We were in Florida. For me, I was a sports writer there. She's working for Target for a long time. And she got the call to be promoted to come to Minneapolis to work at headquarters. So we left Florida in 2016 and came to Minneapolis. She's from Milwaukee and a position opened up in Madison. And we were like, well, it's an opportunity to get closer to her whole side of the family. So that's when we made the move last February. Okay. Kind of come full circle. Okay, got it. And then, <laughs> uh, no, so now, what's your connection to Milwaukee? Do you, from what I understand, you went to school here? Yeah. Uh, I went to fellow Golden Eagle. Okay. Well, yeah, you Golden Eagle. Yes, yeah, so I went to Marquette went too. To Marquette, so. graduated 2004, and that's where I, I met my wife. So yeah, I came from LA to my kid like, what? Why'd you leave California? <laughs> right. But grade school, didn't know about it until a college recruiter came to my school okay. gym. But yeah, that's my connection. Milwaukee here. And then we always came back and forth over the years, but now it's home. Okay, awesome. All right. So you're a journalist and one of the things you talk about is leadership. And so first thing is just you as a whole, when did you really know that you were a leader? When did you first realize, you know what, I really can have some influence on other people? I think for journalists, it's a different type of leadership because we, yes, we have editors, 
and we have editors who will assign us the story every once in a while, but it's on you to be out there getting the story. You can't be told every day what you have to do. You have to be your own leader. And then once I realized the influence I had on other people is you realize the power of the pen. I mean, even more so today because everything can go viral so quickly. But you realize once you have somebody's story, once you tell somebody's story and how you present that person to the rest of the world, it's very powerful. Because before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff, what medium did we have to tell our own story? Not much. Maybe you were lucky enough to get on the radio or have your own advertisement or something, but you couldn't really just come on and just tell your story, like, hey, this is who I am. So you relied on journalists to tell the story. So that's when I realized the influence I can have on the world, you know, just telling these incredible stories about people and what people go through and people will have to overcome to get where they are. I mean, that's no matter what you cover, I've covered everything from sports to agriculture to politics to education and crime. And everybody's drawn to a story about somebody who either overcame something and accomplished something or is going through something that they can relate to. Like, man, this person going through the same thing I'm going through. So just like a leadership, you know, hold that journalism has on the community as a whole, you know. Oh, really? Okay. We're leading the charge for how we tell, our, document our history, how we tell stories about what's happening in the world. All right. That's great from a journalistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Then... Also, Milwaukee has a diversity challenge, let's say, that there aren't really a lot of people of color just in leadership positions. And you are a journalist so that you said just by default on what you do, you're a leader. What are the unique challenges of being a person of color, specifically a black male, and then being a journalist? I was thinking about that on the way here. I thought you might ask me that. It's kind of been a benefit, actually. Okay. I've been, like I said, been doing this for a long time. and. A lot of the sports writers, you know, majority white male, but then a lot of the athletes that are covered are are black males. So to walk into a locker room and sometimes I was the only person of color of the press asking questions. And then I think when other athletes saw that, it's like, oh, okay. And I think even something different, I think even people on the other side, coaches and and people who work with organizations say, okay, at least we're seeing something different. You know, it's not the same type of perspective, a different perspective. And then coming to the business side, I'm interviewing people about some type of over-my-head biotech platform. The fact that I can kind of pick it up, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I think it's breaking down barriers. You know, people might not think that they might have their own you know, assumptions of, of where I came from or whatever, or if I can understand it. But I think once they figure out that this kid's pretty smart, he went to Marquette as well. Maybe it's not what I always thought. And people are interested in me when they see me. Okay, how long have you been in journalism? Okay, I mean, I'm a tall guy. I look like maybe I played sports, so maybe there's some questions about that. I think it's just kind of intriguing a little bit. It's a break from the norm, maybe, from what people are used to seeing. They're probably used to being interviewed by a certain type of reporter, and then they see me walk in, and it's like, oh, okay. So it hasn't been a hindrance. I think it's just we're in a point in time where Diversity is welcomed and it's wanted. So I think when they see a young black guy walk in with some questions, they're just eager to see, like, what is he going to ask? Got it. Okay, that's good. And I thought it's just as interesting that you're saying that when you talk to people, especially in areas that you don't know a lot about, that their initial impression is, will you get it? And then they're like, oh my gosh, he's smart. He does get it. I've had that sometimes like when somebody explains something to me, and like I pick it up, like, oh, okay. You know, it might just be anybody that talks to you may not get it, but. I think the fact that there aren't a lot of people of color covering business at all, I think it's just an okay moment. 
Because people work in silos, people come from so many different backgrounds. And if you're not accustomed to being around diverse people all the time, you just may not otherwise know who's capable of what. I just think it's just a great opportunity for people to understand that people from all walks of life are intelligent. It's not just maybe what I see on television or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. And that's that's it. And I think part of it, that is the struggle, though, is that everyone has unconscious biases. We all have different things that we see and we process our world. And it generally it's from a, what we've experienced. And if we've never experienced something different, all we know is what we see on TV or what we see on the news, which is definitely not necessarily always the most flattering thing. And so just getting those opportunities and being uh, breaking barriers just by existing and being yeah. a part of it, doing a great job is really make, being transformative. I think so. I mean, I remember when I first came out of college, I mean, when I was in college, I had the cornrows. My hair was all the way down my back. Sometimes I have it picked out with the afro. So I know sometimes when I would cover like Marquette basketball games, I'm sitting on the sideline with the rest of the national media. I remember when like Marquette went to the Final Four and like, you know, we went to every city and followed the team and I'm on the press row. And I got my braids. I'm looking around like, well, I'm the only one who looks like me right, right. Around, around here. I think stuff like that is people just kind of just go, oh, all right. A young guy's doing his thing. This is a new era of what's coming up now. So yeah, the more we can break down barriers, the better. All right, awesome. So then for you, what leader has had the greatest influence on your life? I mean, is that right to include my mother? I of mean, course you can. <laughs> I, I, say, um, I mentioned that for me when I asked that question. So that's I what mean, I would have to say my parents both. My mother, she has a great writing talent. She could write poetry like none other, man. I mean, mm. she worked for Motown. For a number of years, and some of her pieces were put in the, the head offices of people who ran the corporation. My dad just, he's a spontaneous guy, and he just goes and gets it. But for my career, when I was in uh, high school, I have to say, like, my high school basketball coach, Eric Griffin, who's not a, you know, a pretty successful comedian. If anybody's ever seen Eric Griffin in stand-up or on Workaholics, he was on that show for a while. He played Montez. He just kind of inspired me to go get it. He saw I had a writing talent early. I had that dream of being a basketball player, but he was like, hey, you could do something else. Mm -hmm. And then once I got here to, to college, Gary Howard was a former sports editor at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I first met him through a program called Sports Journalism Institute. It's like a 10-week boot camp for college students who are uh, minorities, trying to give us an internship and teach us how to become a better sports writer. I met him there because he was one of the stars of that program. But anyway, I started working for him here. And he's the first black sports editor of any newspaper in America. Okay. The first. And seeing how he ran the department, the respect he had just across the country was amazing to see. Leon Carter, he was a former sports editor at New York Daily. Now he works for ESPN New York. He's another person I saw just running things. Greg Lee who's now with The Athletic. He was with the Boston Globe, the Washington Post. These are all people in sports journalism that I saw who were just so much respect and talk about the power you have when you're at that level is major. So those three really showed me what's possible. Another guy, Anwar Richardson. I know you probably, if Anwar uh, ever listened to this, man, when I came to Tampa, he kind of took me under his wing and showed me how to be a sports writer. And he's like one of the top in the game right now. So those four guys, all black men showed me what's possible and how you could make this a career. Awesome. That's good. All right. So, so a lot of leaders then had shaped your influence you and, and put you in a good position to be yeah. where you are today. Exactly. That's great. Exactly. So then what's your leadership philosophy? So you've got all these people that have sort of influenced you. And then, so what philosophies have you drawn around leadership that you try to 
carry forward with your family or in business and your personal life? What is your philosophy? I've always been like a wants to see everybody happy, wants everybody to be in unison, wants everybody to be on the same page, no conflict type person. And that's something I've kind of seen from everybody that have influenced me. Like to be a great leader, you have to be able to listen. You have to want to have harmony. You can't come in there and just separate people and be okay, you're over there, you're over here, you can't communicate, or I'm going to listen to your problems, what I say goes. You have to be able to listen to people and almost submit yourself to what they want. Because I think once you get people on your side and they realize they can trust you, then people want to follow you. Because if people don't trust you and they don't trust your mothers, I don't think people want to follow you. And I interview a lot of CEOs, a lot of people in leadership positions. I think the ones who are successful are the ones who've earned people's trust before they kind of molded what things wanted to be. People respect somebody who works as hard as they do. Like there was an editor I had in Florida who was a former military guy. And he, I mean, he was twice my age, but I mean, he was working so hard. He'd be, I'm trying to write four or five stories in a day. He's doing six. And, you know, I'm like, man, you're, <laughs> I'm supposed to be the one who works hard. But right. he was like, well, I just learned from him. Like, man, if he's going to work that hard and he doesn't have to prove anything, he's just out there doing it because he knows it's to be done. So like, I'm going to work as hard too. So I think for leaders out there, you have to show that I'm in this fight with you. I know I trust you to do what you're going to do. I hope you trust me. What I say is good for all of us. You know, I'm not doing just to do it. I'm doing it because I think this is something that's for the good of the entire team, not mm -hmm. just for my paycheck and my reputation, you know, whatever, just to keep moving up and getting a bonus. Got it. So that's what gets you up in the morning. Is that your motivation? I, like what? I could tell you care. I mean, I've known you now for since you got here. Yeah. So, and uh, just I met you nice and early at a networking event for a business journal. Right and, when I first got here. Yeah, when you first got here. And oh, it's a black tech reporter and I'm a nerd. So I'm like, okay, this is great. <laughs> and so, but it just seems like after knowing you all this time that you really do care about people. So what yeah. gets you up in the morning? Okay. When I was in Tampa, we had a slogan for the paper. It was called Life Printed Daily. And when you think about that, we're human beings. Every day is a life. Something's happening with somebody's life right now. Somebody woke up today and you just don't know where time is going to take them that day. You know, you never know what's going on in people's lives. You know, if something's going on with their mother or something's going on with their children or they just got here, they're coming out of a bad situation or something great just happened. There's so many amazing things happening around us every day that we don't know about. And I think that's what gets me out knowing like, what am I going to find out today? In business, it's more textbook and like, okay, acquisition this, see all that. But sometimes you just come across these stories. You meet these people and go like, wow, really? Like you went through all this and you came on the other side. Are you doing this? That's amazing that you're doing that. Just being discovery aspect of every day is just what I think we all should be excited for. But the fact that I get to do it and get paid to do it just to find out what's happening in the world every day is pretty cool. That's awesome. That's what gets me going. Got it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Plus, you got to pay the bills, too. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely positive to have bills paid. Bills paid. <laughs> would you consider yourself a good leader? And why would you consider yourself either way? If you're good or bad, mm -hmm. why do you consider that? I would think I'm more of the player coach type person. Mm. No matter where my life is going to take me, I think I'm always going to have to be a player coach. And... Moving around different 
outlets over the years. Like I said before, like being a journalist, you kind of on your own. You're like that guy or that woman on the beat covering that. You're out there by yourself. And every once in a while, yes, you have to report to the editor and have them look over something and turn it in, but it's you. But I think if I ever got the opportunity to just have some people under me or something like that, I would definitely be the player coach type. You know, I, I can't just sit back and just assign stuff. I think I have to be out there with you in the fight. You know, I got to be out there walking the streets too. I'm going to have to put some work in and come up with some stories every once in a while, video this, take photos of that, record this, interview that person. I think every leader's like that too. I mean, you have to help. You know, you just can't sit back and just sign checks or be the talking piece. Oh, that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Oh, that's excellent. Failure. We all grow by it. We all have them. Not everyone is able to accept them and acknowledge them and then grow from them. Give me an example for you of what what's a failure that you had that was like a big one that you, how'd you overcome it? Man, failure happens every day in journalism. And the thing about it is with our jobs, everybody can see our failure. If you write something and there's a mistake, you're going to get called out on it and then you have to write a correction. Okay. That correction goes in the bottom of the article and everybody knows you messed up. Okay. If it's in the paper, there's a correction that said the article that ran whatever, whatever day, there was a mistake in it. And I've had numerous, if you search my articles on Milwaukee Business Journal, you might find maybe a dozen or two of like the <laughs> couple of hundred I've written, but there's a mistake. So why for everybody to see? And every time it happens, I feel like I failed. What's the biggest one for you? What's the one that really caused you the biggest, like, oh, when I think about that, like my stomach turns. Oh, man. I try to get over them, you know, because <laughs> you got to go to the next story. Oh, I remember one now. This community, like a youth football coach, mm-hmm. this is when I was in Tampa, and he was a very well-known guy, and he had passed away. And I called his wife like the day of and was talking to her on the phone, and her husband just died. And I wrote this story, and I spelled the guy's name wrong. And, you know, people knew who he was, but the fact that she called, like, hey, Nick, you spelled his name wrong. It was like, damn, man. He's, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the basics. Like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. basics. Probably just in a rush or whatever. But it's like, man, this person just died. You're putting out his story for the world to see, and you got his name wrong. And, like, how disrespectful is that? And I felt awful about that. Other things, like, you get people's titles wrong. Or, I mean, another one I felt really bad for, I don't know if she's listening, she's a Milwaukee Brewers community outreach person. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry if I'm listening. Cecilia. Katina uh, Shaw? Oh boy. Anyway, in the article, I had some information wrong about when she started with the company. She was our winner of influence winner. And like I had the year when she started with the organization wrong. This is a word that I know she was so proud of to get. It comes out in the magazine for everybody in Milwaukee to see. And I still feel bad about that one. Because, you know, like these are people who are so proud to have their name out there. Mm -hmm. And then you you messed it up, man. Mm -hmm. I can't even put that in a frame now because (laughs) you messed it up. So things like that get to you, man. Think about that, the impact you have on kind of stepping on somebody's, bringing on somebody's parade a little bit when you make mistakes like that. So how do you overcome it? So what do you do differently moving forward? You just got to realize you're human. I just have to say, Nick, you're human. You're not a robot. People make mistakes. All you can do is apologize and say, I'm sorry, and try to correct it and try to remedy the situation. That's the best you could do. Some people, it's never good enough. You can apologize and, and fix it as best you can. And they'll, they'll still go, well, you didn't, you didn't. And this is still, they just keep going and going and going. 
And it's like, well, look, I did the best I could. I can't turn back time. People get over it. People wake up the next morning and it's not as bad as it was the previous day. So, you know, it makes you better too. I mean, you try to be as perfect as you can, but nobody's perfect. I'm sure that there's writers out there for the New York Times, the Washington Post, you know, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, there's corrections in every publication. Somebody's out there making a mistake. It, it just happens because we're not perfect. Got it. I talk about the objective right. Objective right is something that's difficult to do, but when you're told you need to do that thing, you may not feel like doing it, but you just do it because you know what? It's just the right thing to do. And everybody's confirmed with those situations. I use an example of Giannis in the playoffs last year. He was arguing with the refs and his brother, who Giannis makes way more money, has way more power than him. His brother told Giannis, hey man, what are you doing arguing with these refs? And he was like, you're right. And he stopped arguing with the refs. And if you notice now, he does not get into it with refs. He doesn't do all those things because it was the objective right. It's not subjective. It's like, oh, this could be right. Could be no, no, no. You know, it's the wrong thing to do to argue with refs. And so, and it doesn't matter if the person telling me doesn't have the right to tell me that. You respect what they're saying, and therefore you just submit to it. And so, for you, do you have a situation or something for you that was your the objective right? It was, it was your right thing to do given the circumstances, even though you didn't want to do it, you did it anyways. I mean, it's kind of how I try to approach everything. I mean, I'm trying to think of a certain situation where if I, even if I didn't want to do it, but I knew it was the right thing to do, I almost feel like if it's the right thing to do, I'm going to want to do it. If it's the right thing to do, I would just do it anyway. Cause I'm kind of a believer. Like if you do the wrong thing, karma is going to come back on you. You mm. know, if you intentionally do the wrong thing, it's not going to be a good result for you. So whenever there's an opportunity to do the right thing, I think I'm going to leap at it. Now, it was opposite, like, you know, it's the wrong thing, but do it anyway. I think that's a entirely different, something you have to handle. That's a good question, man. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. Okay. <laughs> I mean, All right. Good. Good. I okay. I can come back. That's okay. <laughs> All right. So you get to go anywhere in the world. You get to travel, bucket list place. Where are you going? It depends on who I'm with. You get to pick the person you're with. Yeah, I mean, it's different people for different places too, man. Okay. Like, I always wanted to visit London. Okay. I think that would be like a cool place to be just to see how people are interact there. I would love to go there with my wife and my kids. If I'm doing a trip to Africa, I would definitely want to bring my parents with me and the, the elders in my family so they can see that one last thing. If I'm going to go to like New York City or something, I want one of my boys with me that I could just paint the town red with. It just depends on the person, really, because there's not too many destinations. Like, I just, I just, oh, I got to go there before I die. You know, like London is one place. I would definitely just want to be there. I'm just curious about it. Africa, I wouldn't want to go on a safari or nothing. I just want to see uh, before the you know, Western civilization just molds to what it is, like how were people living or still living there. I think my kids there would be something interesting, too. That'd be very educational and just bring them there and say, like, this is where we came from at a young age, too, to get them there, like before. They get to high school and stuff. That'd be an awesome trip. All right. Awesome. Good. All right. Anything else you want that you think we should know from a leadership perspective that part of their workout, I want to get better at leadership. I want to be the best leader I can be. Do you have some kind of nugget you want to leave people with? I could just pass on to what I've heard. Cause like I said, you know, I get to meet a lot of these people around here who are our leaders. And one stands out for me, and she's not in Wisconsin. This one I was in Minneapolis. Her name's Vicky Holt. She's the CEO of Protolabs. They're a rapid manufacturing prototype company. And every role she had, she never worried about moving up. She was like, I'm just going to do this job the best I can do and let everything take care of itself. She never worried about moving up the ladder. 
And I mean, if you ask about her in manufacturing industry as a whole in Minnesota, she has a lot of uh, respect. And the fact that she said that was just amazing to me. Like some people you hear like such and such, I got my MBA because I thought that would move me up. And I studied here and I took this seminar. I went to this course or something. She was like, nope, I just, whatever job they gave me, I did it to the best of my ability. And she said, sometimes I didn't want to leave. They would ask me, don't want to get promoted. And she was like, ah, I felt like I didn't do enough in this position. I wanted to do this and just make it awesome. I wasn't ready to leave it. I'm like, man, I wish I had that attitude. <laughs> go, you know, if I just say, you know what, instead of worrying about, am I going to be moved up to this and moved up to this, be covering that team, just focus on what's in front of you and do it the best and people will notice it. So I think if you're looking to be a leader, do what you're doing the best you can. And I think everything will take care of itself. But like I said before, like a lot of these leaders all talk about listening. All these CEOs talk about, we listen. I listen to my employees. I try to understand what they want. I try to understand what they need from me. What can I do to make your job easier, to make you want to come to work every day? Because if you're an employer and you're bleeding people, people are just leaving left and right. It's you. If people are, are happy with what they do, they will gladly show up to work every day because they like the people there. They like seeing, being in that environment. But if people are like, I got to get out of here. I think that kind of starts at the top. So you got to make it a welcoming place. Listen, definitely give people responsibility too. I mean, we're all adults here. And if you see I'm willing to want to move up, give me some assignments. Test me and let me show you that I can handle this. Don't just hog everything for yourself. Spread it around. Applaud people when they have a great idea. Like, hey, you know what? I can't take credit. That was Darren's idea. Darren, stand up. Everybody, this is all Darren's thing. He put it together and we should be all happy to have him on our team because without him, this wouldn't happen. I think, you know, stuff like that goes a long way, man, where you could just show appreciation for somebody is another good trait leaders have. I mean, I know it's probably people who have like a, a staff of 10. You know, they could probably do more. It's more personal. I see you every day. I know your family. And then you might have a CEO who has like 20,000 employees. Like, how do you trickle down the message? But if it's coming from the top down, though, tell your leaders, hey, show appreciation or listen or get our people more engaged. I think I read a recent survey. I don't know if it was Inc. Magazine or whatever. Like 61% of people like are just stressed out about their jobs. The stress it causes, you know, the sleeplessness of it all. They just feel overworked when they're in the office. They don't have any time to have a little relaxing time. And that's the sign of times, man. Like we're just feeling like we're just in a hamster wheel and we're not getting anything done. Or like, why am I doing this? So you have to realize that people are wondering, like, step it on your own. I'm tired of working here. I'm going to step it on my own and do it myself and do my, I don't need them. If you're the boss, you don't want that. I don't think you want that mentality from everybody. I'm sure you want to encourage people to do their own thing, but I don't think you want everybody to say, I could do better on my own without, I don't need this company. Because I think a lot of people understand that if they want to accomplish what their goal is for their career, they might need that company's platform to do it. There was a person, she was for General Mills. I think she's in charge of like the Annie's products. Mm -hmm. Man, awesome sister too. Her mom was one of the hidden figures. I asked her like, you, I mean, you've done so much. Why don't you just go on your own? Start your own protein line. She was like, General Mills has a great platform. I have more impact and influence what I'm doing here if I just want to start on my own. I can divert so many resources from this large company 
to doing so many things that I want to do. That's another thing that I think leaders should think about that the influence that their brand could have. It's not just about making shareholders happy and stuff. It's about the impact. And a lot of companies in Milwaukee, I mean, Rockwell, Northwestern Mutual, the Bucks, Dallas Controls, Coles. I mean, a lot of these companies know how to give back. So I think that's another important thing as a leader to do for your business. All right. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate you. I hope that all helped, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good, man. It's very good. Gave it's, us a lot to work with. It's, it's uh... different being on this side of it. Oh, yeah, I mean, it is. Know, I'm so used to asking questions and to be the one having to spit it out. It's like, oh, man, all right. This <laughs> I have more respect now for people on the spot. So Okay, good. All right. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate you. And obviously, anything we can do to help you, you know we'll do that. Let's continue to grow this thing together. All right. Appreciate it, man. All right. Take care. So for those of you that don't have time to listen to a full podcast, we're going to give you a one-minute leader workout, something you can do to improve your leadership in just one minute. This is your one-minute workout. Let us know how that's working out for you. So every leader has a story to tell. Everyone tends to see the leader when they've actually achieved it or become the leader. They don't see the things that helped you overcome that. So for your one-minute workout, What story are you not telling that could inspire others or encourage others to achieve? Because that one thing you're telling about how you actually got there, that authentic story could be the difference between someone quitting and someone achieving and going for greatness. So this has been your one minute workout. Let me know how that's working out for you. What area of leadership frustrates you the most? If you're a leader, and want to join a community of successful strategic visionaries, we encourage you to subscribe to the mailing list to stay connected with the Leader Workout podcast community. Don't forget to rate and leave a review in your favorite podcast app.